I wanted to share with you tonight a quote, a teaching from Robert Aitken Roshi that I have always loved. When you reflect on the infinite number of happenstances that coalesce to produce you, then you understand how unique, how precious, how sacred you really are. Your task is to cultivate that precious, sacred nature and help it to flower. When I first heard that quote, it um, was like giving words to our framework to practice, giving it a context, really nurturing that precious, sacred nature that we all have and helping it to flower. It seems like a most remarkable journey to be on. The quote itself points to the awesomeness of the experience of being alive. It points to the necessity to traverse this journey, to travel on this journey with great care and respect. And yet, as we go on this journey, there are so many ups and downs. The path never seems linear. The unfolding never quite the way we want it to be. Sometimes that creates difficulties for us. Sometimes it's hard to accept. I had a friend once who said to me, you just want to be a flower in full bloom all the time. And and I think when I sit, I want to be fully enlightened all the time. But it doesn't happen that way. And so one quality that as we go through these ups and downs, as we go through all of the challenges that we encounter, is a quality that gets strengthened in spite of the ups and downs. And that is the quality of patience. And so this is what I'd like to speak about tonight. Patience is something that we need as we come to practice as we sit on the cushion. Some of you have just arrived. You know, you must have had some degree of patience or you'd be out the door already. You know, that as we sit down, there's so many things we're faced with. Um, Even if we've been here for a long time and we see the same things coming through uh, our minds over and over again, it requires an enormous amount of patience. Patience is a quality we need in our lives. You know, living in today's world, there are so many things that are disturbing, so many things that seem wrong, not the way we want them to be. And we need patience. There's a teaching that says, no greater thing exists than patience. 
It's a quality that the Buddha talked about many times. It's a quality that many great teachers speak of. Because without patience, we were, we're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. The word in Pali that patience gets um, translated from is that of kanti. And it, too, is one of these words that there's not a really good literal translation. Patience speaks to one aspect of it. Forbearance is another. Um, Tolerance is another. And we find that patience has the overtones of loving-kindness, compassion, acceptance, receptivity, gentleness, and even humility. It can be that when we hear of patience, we have that image of, you know, one just bearing something, you know, just gritting your teeth, grinding your teeth and tolerate something. And, or, you know, you're sitting with uh, some uncomfortable body sensation and, and your patience is a form of just, okay, it'll pass, I know it'll pass, I'll just be here. But, you know, we're not very open and receptive in those moments where real patience has a gentle forbearance that really helps us to stay steady, relaxed, open, alert, even though what we're experiencing can at times seem unbearable, intolerable. And yet, patience has the capacity to be there. Patience is said to be the antidote to anger. Anger, which can eat us up from within, which can be excruciating. Whereas patience helps us to stay cool, to stay calm. It helps us to have a bigger perspective of what's happening, rather than being so tightly identified that we see nothing else but that which seems so unbearable. Even though the virtue of patience is so immeasurable, the learning of it can be one of the most difficult learnings. I usually find that, you know, uh, when I don't know what else I'm learning, it's usually patience. It happened to me about seven years ago that I decided to go to Burma and to ordain temporarily as a nun. I really wanted to go and live amongst uh, nuns and to see what their life was like, to really live with these people who had so totally committed their life to the Dhamma, and just to see if there was anything I could bring back uh, as a way of life into my own life. It seemed like a noble aspiration, and so I journeyed to Burma. I first went and ordained with my teacher, uh, Chomye Sayera, which in itself was a very powerful thing to do, a time where I really felt like the outer and the inner came into alignment. Um, And 
you know, in going to Burma, it was not my first trip. I knew there would be difficulties. I knew there would be struggles. Uh, and I felt, you know, pretty prepared for that. But then after ordaining, um, in that moment of really feeling the nobility of heart, then the challenges began. So I journeyed up to Sagain Hills, where there is many nunneries. And it had been an area that uh, a few, a number of years before, I had visited on a trip to Burma and had been in this area. And it is breathtakingly beautiful. Um, there's many monasteries, nunneries, um, pagodas dotting all the hilltops. The Irrawaddy River runs down below. And I had, you know, several years before, just stood on a hilltop and looked around and just had this yearning to come to Sagain Hills and practice. So there was many ways that this journey felt like a fulfillment of some of my dreams. And then in go- traveling to Sagain Hills, I went with a couple of friends. Uh, one was a Burmese woman and another a Swiss nun who lives in Burma. And so they were going to just travel up to the nunnery to help me settle in because I knew once I got there, not many people would speak English. So they came with me and we went to the nunnery that my teacher had sent me to. He sent me with a letter asking that they accept me. And it was said to be one of the best learning nunneries in Sagain Hills. And so we went there and spent a day there. And at first, they didn't want to accept me. Um, They weren't sure because nobody spoke English. Or there was one nun who knew um, how to say mango in English. (laughs) You know, just didn't know a lot. But anyhow, so we spent the day, and we wandered around. They showed us about. And I was just in a state of shock. You know, um, there's not a lot of support given to nuns. And it was evident in this place. And it was tightly packed. You know, there, uh, we went into uh, people's rooms, and there was all these boxes around the edges of the rooms in you know, little uh, kind of trunks. And somebody said, one box, one nun. And then I realized that that meant every box meant one nun slept there at night. That was all her belongings. And there was many boxes in each room. And the eating place was, it was pretty rocky. <laughs> um, I, I was just, oh my God, what have I got myself into? You know, how can I get out of here? And then sitting on my bed at night, and just as I took a, a mouthful of water in which there was this white lump in it, one of my friends turns to me and says, uh, we're not so sure we want to leave you here. <laughs> and I can't tell you, <laughs> I was just so relieved in that moment. And so it, w- it was painful then to leave this place because the nuns had been so warm. I mean, such wonderful beings. Um, but we, we explained to them that, no, maybe because there wasn't any English, it probably might not be the best place for me to be. And we went to this other nunnery later uh, that we had visited earlier. That seemed you know, much uh, easier conditions. And I thought maybe, I was there for a couple of months, I thought maybe I would make it. And so my friends left me, um, helped me, stayed for a couple of days, and then left. And I remember just when they left, loneliness, that loneliness I'd never experienced in my life before. Just in an instant, you know, I traveled the world over, 
Loneliness was not something I was prone to, but here it was, really strong, in just one minute. And then, as I settled into life, I saw that it wasn't going to unfold the way I had hoped. You know, I wanted to get in and work side by side with the nuns. You know, I thought it wouldn't matter if we didn't speak the same language, that just by being around them, I would get a sense of their lives. But no, they didn't want me to work with them. Because they, you know, if they were chopping vegetables, they didn't want me to chop vegetables because my hands would get smelly. And um, they didn't want me to eat with them because they sat eating on the floor. And they wanted me to sit on a chair as I ate. So, you know, there could be a day when there was a big celebration. Many people would come on these celebration days. And they would all eat sitting on a floor. And I would sit in a room alone by myself at a table. They, you know, it was really through the spirit of their generosity that they treated me as royalty. But that just perpetuated this feeling of loneliness. My days were quite simple. Um, I didn't do intensive practice. It was a learning nunnery. Um, so they would chant all day. You could hear them in the background. Um, I did a lot of practice, but not intensive practice. And, you know, it would happen that I'd sit down and I would just be getting concentrated. And then someone would knock at my door and say, come, come. And, you know, that was all they could say. You know, they'd been told what to say. And I didn't know where come, come meant. You know, should I pack up and go for the day? Should I just put on, you know, some shoes and walk out? You know, the toilet, you know, was always a challenge. Oh, my God. You know, should I take water? Whatever. Nobody could tell me. And, you know, sometimes I'd get down there and there was a car. And then we'd get in the car and I'd never know where we were going. Um, (laughs) Or sometimes... um, there would be an arrangement made that we were going to go somewhere. I, was gonna, I knew where we were going to go, but then nobody would ever turn up. You know, so it was always this uh, kind of uncertainty about what was to happen. And then you know, sometimes I go to a meal, and during the meal, uh, people would be trying to teach me Burmese, trying to teach me how to say spoon and fork in Burmese. And then I'd go back to my room and I'd think, what does this have to do with my liberation? (laughs) It was quite painful. It was really a very challenging time for me. And I started to flounder a lot. The hindrances became rampant. And, you know, I found I would wake up in the morning and I'd have to coax myself out of bed. Okay, just get up and do some walking and sit until breakfast. And then I'd go to breakfast, and I'd come back, and I'd think, okay, just try and make it through till lunch. And then lunch would come, and I'd go to lunch. And, you know, it was a bit of alleviation of pain to be um, out doing something. And then, you know, one day I thought, well, you know, it's so beautiful here. I'll just go, and I'll walk in the afternoons, just get out, and, you know, just walk around these hills. And I did it one day, and the next day, they went and found a translator. It was like, where did you go? What did you do? You can't go out by yourself. And so that avenue was taken away. You know, it was, and it seemed like anything I found that helped me to uh, maybe be a bit distractive was stripped away, and I was just in this excruciatingly painful place. Meanwhile, sitting amidst this metabath, 
know, they were so loving. They were so kind. When they would see me, their faces would light up. And it just heightened my own resistance. You know, I didn't want to tell them what suffering I was in, what pain I was in. And then one day I came across a quote. It was, until we are fully liberated, there will be times when the mind is covered by delusion. And it was like, oh, this is what's happening. I'm not yet that flower in full bloom. I have these moments where I don't see clearly. This is okay. This is the way it is. It helped me to find that bigger framework in which to hold all the pain and the suffering that I was experiencing. It helped me to be kinder to myself, to be less judgmental of myself. It helped me to have the strength to keep showing up, even though when I would show up it was for one brief second, you know, before I'd be gone again. It helped me to just do that and to just stay steady in the coming back. I realized that's the only thing I can work with right now, was just to come back and to forgive myself when I got lost over and over again. It helped me to be with what seemed like an unbearable situation. And it was then that I knew that what I was cultivating was patience. And when we can see it in that light, it helps to keep us from falling into futility, despair, anxiety. All of us have these moments when delusion is present, when we don't see clearly. And we find if we have patience, then we're not giving ourselves away to states such as anger, fear, anxiety, hatred. It helps us to stay in alignment with our deepest aspirations of hearts and minds. When we learn patience, we find we have the capacity to be kind to ourselves and others in times of extreme hardship. And when we don't have patience, it's very simple. The alternative is that we suffer. But when impatience, when it's present, we find ourselves caught in the anger, the aversion, anxiety, fear, discouragement, failure, we lash out in our discontentment. We're resisting the way things are, wanting things to be different. 
when it's directed towards others, when we're impatient with others, we become very intolerant, very righteous, indignant. We blame others for our unhappiness. We see others as obstacles to our own happiness. We can often find ourselves impatient towards ourselves. Whenever we're learning something new can be a time when impatience arises. Often when we're learning something new, we have high expectations of ourselves that we should be able to pick it up quickly. We can come to practice with high expectations of ourselves. It can happen that we get really impatient when we hold our practice in the perspective of progress, of thinking we need to be making certain progress. It might be that we've heard about the stages of insight and we're continually putting that as an overlay on our experience and we're expecting something of ourselves rather than resting in the unfolding. It could be that we have heard about the jhanas, another map that gets used in practice if we're practicing samadhi or concentration practice. And if we don't, um, you know, make it to the eighth jhana in the first sitting, we feel discouraged. We feel that we're no good, that we're a failure. We get impatient. And it's so painful. It's so lacerating. And it doesn't allow us to stay steady to that deep inner resolve of the heart that wants us to know true happiness. If we're impatient, we meet these difficulties, and we just want to get up leave, walk out of the sitting, walk out of the building, walk out of the retreat, go home, do something different. But patience will help us to have the tenacity to stay with it. And it's often said that um, people teach what they need to learn. And just to share something personal, it took me at least seven years to write this talk on patience. (laughs) I never quite had the patience to stick with it. (laughs) I needed to learn more. But if we turn impatience into patience, it's really a relinquishment of suffering. It's a relinquishment of our resistance of accepting the way things are. It's a letting go of that which is not helping, that which is not serving us, that reactivity of the mind. There's a Chinese proverb that says, one moment of patience may ward off great disaster One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. I recently just watched um, 
someone who's quite young, has quite a hot temper, um, be in a situation where, you know, in a moment of anger, they quit their job. It was a good job. And, you know, it changed the whole direction of their lives by that one moment of impatience. One moment of impatience can have so many consequences. It's said of patience that when it's developed, it is an unimpeded quality for the good in the development of the noble qualities. For it dispels anger, the opposite of all such qualities, without residue. I don't know this yet. Anger being dispelled without residue. But in my own life, certainly having seen a lifting or a lightening of the moments where I'm so entrenched in anger. Buddha also made a distinction um, in speaking about patience that if we're just sitting in the midst of calm and favorable conditions and we're at ease, at peace, this does not mean that we have developed patience. It's only when we're sitting in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of situations that seem intolerable, that we will know if we have yet cultivated patience. When somebody says something about us that's untrue and unfavorable, does anger arise? When we're faced with someone else's anger, do we just abandon our hearts and retaliate with anger? Or can we touch into this quality of patience? The Buddha Buddha embodied this quality of patience. He exemplified it in the way that he lived his life. I think I often hold the Buddha in such high esteem that I think that nobody would possibly challenge him. And yet, he was challenged by many, many people. There's one story I'd like to share that comes from the Samyutta Nikaya, where the Buddha was walking along, and he was one day approached by a very angry man who was calling him names and trying to rile him by speaking harsh words. And the Buddha patiently waited until the man had finished. And then he simply asked the man if um, people had ever visited him in his home. The man was quite surprised at the change of topic, and he answered yes. And then the Buddha asked if he ever offered to feed his guests. And then the man replied yes again. And the Buddha asked, what would happen if they refused to accept the food Who would the food belong to then? And the man said, of course, it would be belong to him. The Buddha calmly and kindly said, in the same way, 
I do not accept your insults. They remain with you. This is what can happen when we can embody patience, that we become a model for others. We can help reflect back to others qualities that they probably don't like in themselves, but don't know, because of ignorance, what else to do. It's not enough to want to be happy. Or it's not enough to try to be happy. In our exploration of finding happiness, it takes us into the roots of suffering. We need to delve into the roots of anger. And we do, no, we do so not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all beings. Because when we delve into the roots of anger, it's a way of stopping the perpetuation of suffering. We know, we see it in the evidence in the world around us all the time, that anger can lead to the perpetuation of anger. When we're not mindful of the anger, we simply step, uh, act out of it. We become reactive. But when we become mindful of that anger, we cease to fuel that fire. And when that mindfulness is supported by patience, it gives it great strength. It's letting the anger stop here, stopping the cycle of suffering. It's a challenge. The world around us so filled with anger. It's not easy. This is not to make light of it. But what will our reactivity do? Needing to look into the very roots of anger as it appears in our own experience, to come to know it, to find the way to uproot it. In doing so, it is essential that we learn forgiveness. Otherwise, we'll continually hold on to the anger. We'll be unable to move forward, unable to forgive, unable to let go of all of the pain and the tension that we're holding within. 
unable to let go of that which keeps us feeling so separate. But forgiveness, too, is something that cannot be forced. It's a process. And we need patience in being with that process. We need to have the willingness to face the difficulties, to face the challenges. And we need to stay authentic with the process, to know when it's feeling intolerable, and to find ways that we can find balance, stay in balance in those moments. You know, I used to think that mindfulness would always serve me, that 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 was the only tool that I needed. But sometimes I found that I haven't yet developed the strength of mindfulness to be able to do that. And so in those moments when I'm trying to be mindful, but really I'm lost in what's happening, it's learning to recognize just that. And then to find the ways that you can protect the mind so you don't get caught in that torturous cycle finding ways such as reflecting on that which gives strength, that which brings about the courageousness of heart, finding somewhere in the world some aspect of yourself that you can give metta to. Really calling us to be honest with our process of forgiveness. and needing great patience within it. Patience giving us this capacity to be steadfast in the presence of difficulty or adversity to be able to hold the unbearable. The patience with forgiveness to honor our process when rage reemerges time after time. But staying steady, respecting ourselves, respecting our own suffering. You know, and this is where this image of this, you know, our sacred nature helping it to flower. Remaining true to this, this is what's important. So not giving over in the face of difficulty. We find that patience is imbued with the qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, which allows us to be gentle with ourselves, allows us to soften when our heart feels deadened or rigid, 
when we feel really vulnerable or terrified. It helps us to hold our process tenderly without the brutality of the judging mind. Allows us to sit in a place of not knowing where the process is going, but to know that we have no choice but to face what arises, to allow what is happening and to respond with wisdom. We find with patience and forgiveness, loving kindness, we have the capacity to keep meeting whatever arises with tenderness. Forgiveness will never be possible for us if we hold it in a way where we think of it as repressing suppression or passivity in the face of violence. With forgiveness, we need to remember the um, freedom and empowerment that forgiveness offers, that it is a way of empowering or reclaiming our hearts. It's a way of freeing energy to work skillfully, to keep working, to dispel ignorance. Nobody can take away our happiness when it's true happiness. And we all have a right to be happy. Forgiveness is never meant to deny, suppress, or diminish the atrocities of life. But in the place of atrocities, in the place of um, all of the harm we do to ourselves, all of the harm that is done to others, that we find a way to heal. And this allows us to develop an inner strength that can endure any unpleasant mental state, any unpleasant physical conditions. Because we are no longer seduced by anger. So as we journey into forgiveness, our patience becomes strengthened. It's said in the Buddhist teachings that the road to Nibbana is paved with patience. And we certainly discover this on a retreat. No way around it. (laughs) As we sit with all of the difficulties that arise in body and mind, to hold it in a larger perspective, to hold it as a way 
of inquiry into these roots of anger, the roots of suffering. To know that the Dhamma unfolds in its own time. And there's nothing that we can do to hasten along this process. But we can stop reacting to it. Just letting the unfolding occur. Remembering that until we're enlightened, there will be these moments when we're caught in delusion, when we don't see clearly. Can we face these moments where we we experience this pain, this suffering, with patience and kindness? Seeing that this is just the way things are right now. It's said that the characteristic of patience is acceptance, is the accepting of the way things are, which is not a collapsing or disconnecting, but it's a knowing that this is just the way things are. Seeing clearly, seeing without reactivity, It said its function is to be able to endure pleasant and unpleasant. Pleasant and unpleasant. They keep us so on the move. They keep us living a very superficial life when we're living in a way of reactivity to pleasant and unpleasant. When we're chasing the pleasant, running away from the unpleasant never lets us settle, never lets us see clearly, just moving in reactivity. But with patience, we can learn to endure, to simply be present to see. A calm endurance that isn't a tightening up, a constricting, a bearing something, but it's a calm endurance that has a courageousness of heart, a willingness to meet difficulties. Patience manifests as tolerance, non-opposition, because we are not threatened, because we have the wisdom. And the proximate cause of patience is said to be seeing things just as they are. And we see this at times in our practice. And one time in my own practice, there was just some little incident that happened. I don't even clearly remember the incident, but it triggered anger. I noted the anger. I came back to what I was, whatever else was happening in my experience. And then... In the next moment, anger again. And it was really interesting because, you know, then I'd come back and then anger again. And then in one moment, the, the mind just lighted on the force of that anger, the power of that anger, 
And then it was where I experienced patience being imbued with humility. It humbled me. You know, I recognized that the forces that I was working with in my mind were deeply habituated forces that had really strong roots. And I couldn't expect of myself that in the noting once of anger, I would forever be alleviated of it. And that, you know, it really helped me to settle into my practice from the place of patience. I'd like to share a quote from Rainer Rilke. I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you wouldn't be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday far in the future you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. So patience, having the qualities of forbearance, tolerance, compassion, loving-kindness, acceptance, receptivity, gentleness, and humility. Our practice, an invitation to embody these qualities. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the virtue of patience.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.